Thank you for joining this edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, and on this episode, we're going to be joined by the usual menagerie of friends. Uh, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic is going to be on as co-host along with Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Manufacturing. We'll also have Gerald Dixon for a wide-ranging discussion on everything from uh, (laughs) uh, hygiene, I I suppose, uh, especially getting into it with uh, Jonah Bronstein's philosophy on uh, hair care, and uh, Joel Staniszewski giving us a Bill's betting perspective, as he always does. Uh, He still has made you money if you've been betting uh, all of his uh, suggestions from the start of the season. You've uh, made a few bucks by listening to Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK. Uh, But uh, let's get right to Gerald Dixon and uh, what I found to be a pretty interesting discussion started by our Jonah Bronstein. Thank you. You said my teeth? My teeth are fake. Tea. Oh, tea. Oh. (laughs) I thought you meant my teeth. I did hit the record button. So we did uh, just get... Cold open. Yeah, we just did find out that Jonah Bronstein does not have fake teeth. I do have fake teeth. Not oh, you all. Do? Yeah, yeah, about six of them. Four, about 4.5 maybe, 4.75. I have a fake tooth. Matt, do you have any fake teeth? I don't. All real. All natural. Gerald? I have two missing. Took them out. One of those idiots that didn't like wearing a mouthpiece. So a couple of them got chipped, and I just said yank it. Where were these? In the back? Nah. Nine, and this one up top. Right wow. Side. We got a motley crew here. So what's the story behind your four and a half missing teeth, Jonah? Yeah, well, now I'm doing the math. It's two teeth I wasn't born with. And then the process of replacing two of them, they ground down four of them, made them cap. So basically all you see on the front top here is um, there's a dental term for it, but they're all pretty much fake. So you don't have any good story about how you got hit in the face with a monkey wrench or anything like that in a, in a barroom brawl. No, but I had a retainer with a fake teeth on it in college that I spit out, puked out in the toilet freshman year of college. And then for the rest of the semester, I had the two missing teeth. Jonah, you got to know when to say when. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Tell me when we're going to start recording. <laughs> uh, well, uh, what led us to this conversation, I don't know how actually we made that leap, but it was something else that has nothing to do with Uh, much of anything at all is that Jonah is no poo and we've talked about this on the old Tim Graham show on the radio uh, but Gerald isn't aware of it so we're revisiting that we're going to reset this so uh, Jonah give us your philosophies on on striving towards no poo uh, lifestyle what is no poo striving towards zero poo emissions by 2024 no no poo is uh, no shampoo let's not confuse that with any other poos that people might be familiar with no shampoo, because shampoo's not good for your hair. It dries out the oils. It's just generally not good. And I can't say that I never use shampoo, because sometimes I do as a treat. But uh, my <laughs> hair is better off, <laughs> I find, intellectually at least, if I don't use shampoo often or I strive to not use shampoo. And as you can see, it's working out well. Is this something that you do just to have for, as a conversation piece, uh, for just such moments as this that you can just say you're no poo. And I mean, what's the, 
I, you know, it's something I read about and I thought, okay, yeah, I should stop using shampoo. My hair is going to be so much better looking if I don't. And then I didn't use shampoo for a long time and didn't notice a big difference. It, I can feel it and tell a little bit of a difference, but, and so now it's kind of this struggle between, ah, oh, should I use shampoo? Should I not use shampoo? Does it make a difference? And it's, it's, it's a, a battle I deal with every day. How do you make sure your hair doesn't smell like poo? When you use no poo. <laughs> well, that's that's why I told you I sometimes do use shampoo. Sometimes I break down and get a luxurious lather going in the shower. What about conditioner? Conditioner's okay. Conditioner's good. So sometimes if I'm doing this right, I'll just rinse my hair with conditioner or you can use like vinegar and baking soda and things like that. Even bar soap is better than shampoo. What about dry shampoo? Dry shampoo is just shampoo that's been dried. So it's kind of still no good. Yeah, still can be bad for your scalp and your hair. Have you done enough research on this, Jonah, to know what it is about shampoo that's bad for it? Well, yes and no. I think there's more. A scientist could tell you more clearly than I could, but it's all those ingredients on the shampoo bottle that you can't pronounce. All of those chemicals are not really necessary. And that you don't need to clean. Your hair is self-cleaning. You really just need to rinse out some dirt and debris that mixes up in the day and clean your scalp, not your hair. And that's kind of how it goes. It's similar with your skin. You're not necessarily supposed to use soap on your skin day after day all the time. You know, the character in um, uh, Kingpin uh, after uh, Woody Harrelson gets caught trying to rob the, uh, or the, the guy was trying to rob the landlord and it was all a setup. Yeah. And uh, Woody Harrelson. And so they're caught back in the apartment later. Uh, he's already paid the guy off for this fake robbery so he can get out of paying his rent. And the guy says, hey, man, I need something to read. I need something to read. Um, what do you got around here? And he hands him a bottle of shampoo and says, here, read this. And he's like, it's new and improved. I read this already. But it reminds me of the ingredients. Like you say, I used to be, I used to <laughs> out of boredom, you're in the bathroom, whatever. You got to have something to read. I used to read the, that stuff and I challenged, this is a uh, useless Tim Graham uh, trivia um, to try to find the longest named chemical compound on anything that you could, you know, whatever. And methyl chloral isothiazolinone uh, is the record as far as Tim Graham is concerned. Uh, it is in uh, shampoo, but it's in almost everything that you would find in a bathroom. Um, so anyways, yeah, you're putting methyl chloroisothiazolinone in your hair. Yeah, that Who knows how good that is? I could say one more thing, and you guys can look this up and verify after the show, and our listeners can do this for themselves. One of the reasons they say you don't want to use soap and hot water on your skin every day like, like most people do is because it erodes something called your horny layer. That's true. Oh, you we're mean to have this like protective film over our skin that we're not supposed to wash off. It's called right, but it's layer. not. A, it's just coincidentally called horny. It's not some sort of uh, hocus pocus thing that says uh, it's what's it's going to attract women. Yeah, I think it's a different definition of horny. I would think but... so. Jonah, listen, Gerald, your thoughts. <laughs> Great information. Couple of things, Gerald. What's an NF? What's an NFL scout's viewpoint on this? <laughs> Great information. <laughs> don't know if I'm going to use any of them, but I like it. Yeah. Well, like I'm going to always said. take hot showers. I'm going to use shampoo in my hair. Um, and I use deodorant and, and, and soap. 
to be. Oh, deodorant's not good either. Yeah, you you know what? Um, no, I think deodorant's fine. It's antiperspirant that's bad. Right, that's true. That's actually true. Yeah, hey Jonah, I mean you can go out and live in the jungle if you want to. I I, I live with my wife and my two <laughs> girls and my son. Yeah. I don't. It'll, it'll go well if I just walk around funky all day, man. Jonah is the only one on this call who's not married. <laughs> yeah. the they only do say cold showers are good for you. I will say that. Oh, they are. And yeah, good for your skin. Yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. There's science behind that. I don't know about the rest of this. I'm going to have to do my own research. No, no. What happens if you have oily skin like I do, right? So if you put oil and cold water together, typically that doesn't get the, the oil off, right? Well, so what is what is a guy of my complexion? Like, I'm real dark. I'm smoked black. What do I got to do, John? Give me my, uh, my hygiene tips. Come on, get to me. Well, the, the theory is that your body overproduces oil, whether it's in your skin or your hair, because of the soaps and shampoos that dry out your, your skin and your hair. So if you, and there's a transition phase. That's why everybody that gives up shampoo struggles with it at first, because your hair gets way too oily and greasy. But after, over time, you adjust and adapt. So the idea is that your, your skin would regulate itself, the oiliness, from not using and I'm not saying never use soap, but apparently, you know, milder soaps and less chemicals and less soap usage is better for your skin. And when it comes to the hot water thing, Gerald, I'll tell you this, because uh, I, I can't, I, I, I like the hot shower, but it is bad for your skin. What you're supposed to do is just have the cold shower at the end. Like, go ahead and take your normal shower as you would, but for like 30 seconds, go with like a, a tepid or a go totally cold, if, however you can handle it. And it, it, uh, it has something to do with whatever your, your body produces. Uh, think it, it kind of shock. Adrenaline, yeah. partially. It's the, same, it's the same concept for when you get done shaving. When you shave, you want to put cold water on your face uh, to stop. You know, it's just the same, same type of thing. But it's you like just do it over your whole body. Swedish saunas. Hey, Matt uses the beard oil, right? Matt uses the beard condition. Look at his beard. I do have He's some more, man. I have some more beard oil coming in the uh, coming in the mail right now because you're not supposed to use like it gets real dry this time of year. You're not supposed to use like soap. This is kind of to Jonah's point. Like the the skin under my beard like needs extra care, but not like you know I'll condition it sometimes, and right. then the oil is good for it because it's like natural essential oils that like mix with the oils of your skin to create more moisture and whatnot has, has trent murphy offered any of his uh, beard oils those are homemade uh, and those would probably be uh would probably be good to try uh, he's probably got a little bit more time to experiment with his concoctions these yeah, days right <laughs> i'm just saying I, also probably not a good time to ask him for him because he's probably not right. in a very good mood <laughs> Uh, Trent's a good dude. He's Trent's my guy. He's probably my favorite guy on the roster right now to talk to, but fortunately, I can't really talk to him much. Put in that request. I want to talk to Trent Murphy about I, I need oil. to borrow some beard oils. This and dermatological discussion has been brought to you by Shampoo Travis Besaw and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Shampoo Travis Besaw and Kirshner, CTBK, is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions or how to take a shower, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation on the financial stuff, not 
necessarily to take a shower. I don't know that they'll come to your home for a consultation or like in Seinfeld where, you know, Kramer will start taking notes, uh, uh, the guys at the YMCA. Anyway, for a consultation or a request to quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. I knew I had to get that plug in because they would want to be in on this conversation somehow. So I they were say, so you're saying you're saying Jonah's living the no shampoo lifestyle, but not the no shampoo lifestyle. <laughs> That's right. Everybody should live the shampoo lifestyle, full shampoo lifestyle. Joe, Joe Dixon. Years ago, it would have been fun. <laughs> Gerald, your thoughts on the Bills uh, extending Brandon Bean? Everybody thought uh, that it was coming. Um, probably some curiosity as to why it took uh, a little bit longer, but it looks like the gang is going to be uh, tied up and uh, a part of things at one Bills drive uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, outstanding move. I mean, he and uh, McDermott came in together, so they're tied together. And they've done an outstanding job of getting this team where they're at right now. I mean, clearing out their roster, uh, doing exactly what they needed to do in that building, of flipping that building completely upside down and pushing out all the bad and cultivating the good. Uh, they've done an, an outstanding job um, getting that bu building ready to make this playoff run. This may, this is going to be a difficult question, I think, Gerald, and I apologize in advance. I didn't like give you any forewarning of it, but we're all pretty, we're all transparent here. Um, I think you know that this is not coming from a bad place. Like you just said, you push out all the bad and bring in the good and you've turned over the culture as somebody who was a part of trying to get that done. Um, and now you're not there, I guess, what's that like to see it humming along and, and going so well, but you're not a part of it. Um, you know what? I don't have, I don't feel one way or the other about it. I'm happy for those guys. Like uh, I text Brandon, told him congrats. Um, text Sean on his birthday, tell him happy birthday. And he'd be the same. Uh, I mean, we have a good relationship. I'm just, like I said, I've always been different. I've always strived for what I, what I wanted to do and uh, to further my career. And I, I went about it the way that I went about it. And we're still good friends. And that's just part of the business. Business and the personal side, I, I remove that. But I'm happy for those guys. As somebody who, like Tim mentioned, you were there during the transition um, to see where it was. How, how quickly did you recognize in those guys that they could get to this point where um, it's probably hard to see, I guess, in the moment when they're turning over a lot of things, a lot of things that you had helped build previously. But when did you see in them that, all right, this was a, a pair that could work and that they could get the team to where they are? Well, you, I saw it the first day that I met um, Brandon and just how detailed he was on explaining his steps on getting the building and getting the team to where he wanted to. And just knowing Sean and understanding Sean's leadership ability and having just a clear vision of what he wanted and being around the previous two coaches in the building and understanding what they were about, you just saw night and day. I mean, not good or bad for either way, but night and day in terms of organization, detail, development, and the word culture. I mean, everyone throws the word culture around, but 
he has words and and the ability to define what he wanted from each person within the building, from the equipment room, the video department, operations, the uh, business side. I mean, Sean just had this a big Bible of understanding of what he wanted, and that's what he's getting right now. Gerald, you mentioned uh, the previous two coaches, and uh, Doug Marone, still the coach for now in Jacksonville, but uh, Shad Khan has fired uh, Dave Caldwell, the longtime general manager there, and Dave Caldwell being uh, a familiar name to us in Western New York uh, as a St. Francis grad. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Doug Marone's time in Jacksonville? You worked with him uh, – and to, to see what's happened down there, what 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 are your general thoughts on that? Well, you know, with with Coach Marone, I, I never had an issue with him as far as a coach. But one of the bigger issues when you when you talk about an organization is having the general manager and the head coach linked together. And just in my time in Buffalo, with Doug taking over for for Buddy and basically getting put with Doug, that wasn't it was neither one of your choices, right? I don't, Doug didn't choose um, Doug Marone and um, Doug Marone didn't choose Doug Whaley. So to make a long story short, in order to have a true successful organization, the head coach and the general manager need to be tied in together. They don't have to, they don't have to be the same person. They don't have to agree with each other at the same time with everything, but they have to have like conversations, right? And that's what Bean and McDermott, and that's what those guys have. That's what's going on in Pittsburgh. Um, any successful organization, the general manager and the head coach, they get along, right? They can have, they can hash out their differences without one sticking a knife in each other's back. And that's when you truly see teams win. But when you go on and the head coach didn't hire the general manager, the general manager didn't hire the head coach, and they're just kind of piecemeal together, then you see a lot of the stuff that was going on in one's bill drive. One guy wanted going in one direction, the other guy's going in the other direction. And it's already so difficult to win in the NFL when you have that going on. It's almost impossible. Gerald, if it's that important, and I agree with you that the general manager and the head coach are on the same page, how come when the general manager and the head coach are the same person, it seems to go haywire so often? It's just like any relationship, right? If you're the same person, you have to be able to see what the other person is not seeing. Like my wife and I, she is the positive energy of me. And that she needs to see, she needs, at some point, she needs to see what's going on through my eyes. Just like if we're all looking at the same talent, right, same quarterback, the four of us looking at it, if we're all saying the same thing and we're all agreeing with each other saying, yeah, 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 and there's something wrong with that particular person and not one of us say, you know what, have you guys looked at this? Then we're all just going to go in that dumpster fire together instead of one guy putting out that fire with some water or a fire extinguisher. So it's good to understand what each other wants in the, in a particular um, relationship in terms of general manager and head coach, but it's not necessarily the best thing to agree with every single thing one person says, because the head coach can be dead tail wrong at one point and so could the general manager, but so, at some point they have to meet in the middle and come to a, an agreement. Do you have uh, an anecdote or a, any kind of uh, example you can give about how Marone and, and Doug Whaley couldn't, couldn't work together? Um, and I, you know what? I don't even know if it's that they couldn't work together. It's that they never worked together before. So to put somebody in a, in a tough situation, in a pressure situation, 
on a daily basis to make tough decisions and you don't have any history of each other, nor did you want to hire each other, then you, you then regardless of what the situation is, it's typically not going to work out. Yeah, you see the relationships that uh, do work. And I think more often than not, they came in together. It's not just somebody being hired and they get along. It's not one hiring the other. And hey, it's also they came in together. Uh, they're tied together. They're su- uh, my success is tied to your success. Therefore, if I ever get to a point where I disagree with you, I'm, it's never going to get so dark as me needing to stab you in the back or take my concerns to the owner uh, to undercut you or to get you replaced because then that's going to hurt me. Correct. And there's a, a sink or swim uh, uh, mentality with when two guys come in at the same time. And granted, Sean McDermott did have one more draft than Brandon Bean did uh, by with the timing of it, but they essentially came in close enough uh, and have been together for the same number of seasons. So I think that that plays a significant role. Oh, it's vital. Important. What are your thoughts on the Steelers game, Gerald? Um, Well, I have my thoughts and I don't want to, I don't want to influence your answer or have you riff off mine. So I'll, I'll ask what you think about the importance of the Steelers game and then we'll, we'll open it up for everybody. Um, well, the importance of the Steelers game, it's prime time, right? So when you play in a prime time game against the best team record-wise in the NFL, you want to show up and show out. And now it's the last four games of the season, right? So you want to take this game and build momentum going into the playoffs. And why? What? What's not the best situation, right? It's the best team record-wise. Sunday night, you just came off of having a great Monday night game. Your quarterback was on a whole nother level. And you're playing against another premier quarterback in a premier organization. So you want to go out there and you want to play a clean game and you want to win this game. And if you beat them convincingly, now you're saying, okay, good. Kansas City, you're up next. The thing about the Steelers is that I think that they are way more beatable than a lot of people or their reputation so far this season because they were undefeated for so long and got to 11-0. Uh, They did navigate some landmines, which is credit to Mike Tomlin and the players that they do have. They did win the games. But if you go back and look at some of those opponents, uh, key injuries, uh, lucky bounce, um, struggling against bad teams here or there, and then pulling out a victory, um, this could be good for the Bills in terms of their national presence. Because if they can beat the Steelers on Sunday night football, I think a lot of people even – I think they are going to win this game. This is just me. I mean, what do I know? But it, I think the Bills are just playing so well. The Steelers, I've seen a lot of them. I don't think they're playing particularly great football. Uh, that if the Bills win this game, they are going to become the sexy pick to win the Super Bowl. Because a lot of people – everybody wants to pick the Chiefs. Chiefs are probably the best team in the NFL. Uh, But when it comes time to picking Super Bowl teams around this time of year, you see a lot of the pundits want to get smart. They want to pick the different team. So that way it gives them people something to talk about. It's a hot take. Um, It's something that we can discuss. I'm out there. I'm I'm a deep thinker. I see things a little differently. So I think you're going to start seeing the Bills, if they're able to beat the Steelers, in the talk not only for making a run, but people are going to start talking Super Bowl. I agree. 
Do you think that that could be a negative? Um, no. Um, if this was last year with this with the Buffalo Bills currently, I would say, you know what? Yeah, because they don't truly know how to handle success. But you take away that one throw in the Arizona game, and they're on, what, a seven-game winning streak? Maybe 10-2. Right. Oh, well, they'll be 10-2. and two. And you're looking at saying, well, hold on. They're as good as everybody else. But that one loss now puts them in a conversation, a jumbled-up group. But they're playing as good as anybody. Because if you look at last week's game and just say, hey, every single team we're going to grade you off of last week's game, they look better than Kansas City that struggled to beat Denver. They look better than Pittsburgh Steelers that lost to the no-name team. And you, I saw Robert Sala on the sideline with his arms folded without an answer for Josh Allen. You hand out an MVP um, trophy last week, Josh Allen might have took, might have taken that away from everybody. That's how good I thought he played. Borderline flawless. He would think about level, man. I'll throw this out to all you guys, really, and Gerald probably start with you. But you're talking about. Josh Allen playing at an MVP level, hitting probably the the highest point he's hit. Tim saying if they win this game, people are going to talk about them to win the Super Bowl. We probably all agree that that should be the bar, right? The that they're now in that that tier where they should be contending for the Super Bowl. They shouldn't pass it off as winning the division is progress anymore. How and you think about the beginning of this conversation we had about trying to sustain success, how difficult that can be. How precious no, no, is this? The beginning window? of this conversation was Jonah having well, that's right, having fake teeth. no poo, right? Yeah, and then then it no got poo crazy. lifestyle, and now we're getting really crazy. Bill's Super Bowl talk, the beginning no, of the football conversation, but how precious is the this window that they have, and how? Not saying that they won't be back here next year, but how much do they have to kind of take advantage of what's in front of them, knowing how much can change year to year in the NFL? I believe you can, it, the window is, I mean, you got a young quarterback, right? You got the quarterback, you got a young um, left tackle. You locked up your, your, your best defensive player. Your middle linebacker is, is a young guy that's going to lock up. The bills are putting themselves in position to truly make a run and could be a, a collision course with them in Kansas City for the next counted how many years you want, as long as Josh stays on his course. And when Josh comes out and plays like he did on Monday night and you have a stretch of four games, like this is what you are. There's no going back to, well, is this good Josh or bad Josh? No, this is 32 for what, 40, 375 yards, four touchdowns on Monday night football against one of the better defensive coordinators that you had over there. I'm talking about you saw him spinning without answers. And he was on a whole nother level of throwing the football. You, you saw Josh feet calm, body relaxed, and rifling passes that typically you'd say, wow, look at Josh. But now it's that's the norm. So I, I, I want to say I, they are in that conversation with the Kansas City Chiefs. The Pittsburgh Steelers, we'll get to them, but your quarterback's going down in, in terms of age not a young group that you're looking at that's an older group i think the Buffalo bills, bills can, are up. i'm sorry gerald i'm sorry to step on you there i was just gonna no, say that i 
I don't think that the Bills have to win this game. I think they're still, like for all the reasons Gerald was just saying, they're just as much a contender if they don't beat the Steelers on, on Sunday night. Because there's all kinds of ways you can lose a game. Uh, namely, you don't need to look too far back. The Cardinals loss is one of those losses that you felt better about the Bills and what they were, even though they lost. It didn't matter that DeAndre Hopkins caught that pass, really, uh, to know that the Bills were legit and should have won that game. And they're a good team, the whole thing. So if they can, if they lose to the Steelers on a bad bounce or a, an iffy call or any kind, whatever, or even if it's straight up, they just lose by 10 points. They're still that good because of all the things Gerald was just talking about. The defense is finding its way, and the offensive coordinator is in a rhythm with uh, his guys. That even so, so I think it's important not to put too much emphasis on having to win this game, um, even though it is the Steelers and it's in prime time. Um, don't stress out if they don't win this game. To me, it's how you play the game. Right. So even when they they lost in the last second to the Arizona Cardinals, the drive before you saw your quarterback where everybody's fingers still crossing. Oh, I don't know. Just went down the field. Boop, 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 boop. Look right. Throw a laser left. And uh, your prize possession in terms of free agency in your trade made that play. So you can go home and say, wow, yeah, that's what our quarterback is. And that's what our playmaker is moving forward. And that's the expectation, regardless of what's at stake. When it comes to Josh Allen's recent performance and his progression this year, how much could that change or the, the trajectory of that change if Brian Dable were to get a job elsewhere, as we're hearing a lot of chatter that could happen? You know, when, when you are playing that well as a professional, and Josh is, I mean, when you start talking to MVP, now you understand who you are as a player and, what's a, and what plays you like and how do you get yourself in the rhythm. So regardless of who comes in next, and I'm sure that Brandon and Sean are, are do a good job if Dable does get um, um, a head coaching job, of coming in with a guy that understands what makes Josh, Josh. And going into your fourth year and you're going to get the, that contract, you're going to say, hey, you, you have more sense. I don't really like those plays right there. These are the ones that I'm truly comfortable with. And that's when you finally figure yourself out and say, okay, I've arrived. I understand myself now. And he's getting there. What do you think of Brian Dayball as the head coaching candidate? Listen, that's my guy. I love him. I, I think the, the way that he prepares and the number one thing that I, I told Dave's about himself, I said, you truly understand your players. And as a coach, um, regardless of how good you are with X's and O's, if you don't understand the Jimmys and Joes to put in those X's and O's, you might as well just throw that whole book away. And understanding that Josh is not Tom Brady and this and Buffalo is not New England and going in and putting your own stink on it and, and iron it up and buffering that, that the whole machine out and you have that, that machine rolling. The two guys that that's, that's done an outstanding job with, with quarterbacks in this, this whole year, you got to say it's Pep Hamilton and, Brian Dable, the guys that everyone walked away saying, I don't know if they're that accurate and I don't know if they can throw with touch, timing, and place the ball. They're doing that at a high level. So you have to give credit to the guys that are Ken Dorsey that's coaching them, but also Brian Dable that's calling the plays. 
Now that's from a coaching up your guys standpoint, but what about building programs, which is so much of what a head coach is not only is expected to do, but I think what the market demands, because I guess you go back to Bill Belichick when he left the Jets uh, for the Patriots and probably even before that, maybe even go back to, I guess, maybe Bill Parcells when he was bouncing around a little bit to the Patriots and the whole, um, if you want me to cook the meal, you have to let me buy the groceries uh, comment is that today's head coach, when he becomes a head coach for the first time, negotiates in a lot of power for good or for bad. And that's not to say that Brian Dable is going to go be mad, uh, you know, crazy uh, for um, power hungry, but that's kind of the way it is now. And so a new head coach, a first time head coach is generally expected to build the program. I guess you could be hired into a situation, which we said earlier, isn't very healthy where the general manager already brings you in but that means that the general manager is on a much higher level than the coach usually. And you don't have that. Um, I'm making hand gestures for those who are listening on right. the podcast. The level uh, I got you. But you know, you know what I'm getting at. Um, can Brian Dable build a program? He's been in a lot of them, but he's been in some bad ones too. Right. And, 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 and the Belichick, the Belichick tree has a pretty poor track record in trying to emulate. And, and and that's where just knowing um, Dave's Dave's is that he's he's his own man, right? Um, he's been around enough places to understand that as you have to sell yourself, you can't sell somebody else's program to build your own. You can take pieces from other people's programs to add it onto yours to make it into what your program is going to be. But that's why I would always say the general manager and head coach they have to be synced together. That's the only way that you're going to have success because regardless of who has the power, yeah, power and conversation are two different things. The conversation that we're going to have when we're going to come out of this meeting, we're going to come out of it together and whatever you say, if you're the head coach and you want to have the last say, go ahead. But this is a collective effort on building this team. And to me, if, if you're at a team and the, the team is rolling and you're the assistant head coach, the offensive coordinator, and you're the assistant general manager on that staff, and you both understand how to build the program because you're just coming from a successful program, I believe you take one of those guys with you and say, hey, listen, this is what it is. We've worked three years together. We started off together. Let's go keep this thing going. My opinion. Who do you – and this is kind of a broad question, but if it's not Ken Dorsey, if it's not in – you know, we're going down the, the, you know, the hypothetical rabbit hole here of Brian Dable gets hired away – um, Ken Dorsey is presumed to be a potential candidate to move up to keep continuity um, and call plays, be the offensive coordinator. But are there any names? I know you're um, probably more well-versed in the, the coaching world and the NFL world than we all are. What names um, do you see? I'm sure Pep Hamilton will be one of the first uh, first ones. But what, what offensive coordinator candidates would you be looking at? Who, who's caught your eye this year? Well, when you, when you look at it, you got to say what teams uh, best fit like, what Sean McDermott wants to do. So for me, it's hard to say the next hot play caller can jump into the same seat and have the same success because also you have to be able to fit yourself within that team of coaches in that organization to understand how they flow. So most of the time, you don't really want to go in there and murky up that water my opinion. 
if Josh didn't trust or understand what other coaches had going on and he understands exactly the same language that Ken Dorsey's speaking and you see the success, yeah, you buffing that car up and you slide Ken Dorsey right into that and say, hey, Ken, here goes Brian Dable's old playbooks. You and Josh, you guys get together collectively with, with Kelly Skipper and um, an offensive line coach and tight end coach, Rob, and you guys go in there and um, you guys figure this thing out because the way that we were rolling, I want to keep rolling the same way. I don't want to come in and implement – say, Gary Kubiak's offense. Now Josh has to go all over and start over from scratch. You don't necessarily have to do that. You already have your franchise quarterback. You just need somebody to come in there and speak his quarterback language. How do you think – job up. Just speculative here, but how do you think Anthony Lynn might fit as an offensive coordinator if a lot of people are expecting that maybe it won't go in his direction at the end of the season with the Chargers? Yeah, I believe A. Lynn can go anywhere and, and, and do a pretty good job of, of calling plays because that's what he did when he was here with, with Tyrod that year. But to me, when, you, when you're putting together a team, you have to put the pieces together so you can form the right puzzle and, and have the right pieces fit in that puzzle. And it all depends on head coach, coordinators that can all mesh. Because the better continuity that you have on staff, players will see it, everybody in the organization will understand it, and we're all going in the same direction. You can see teams that are, are struggling. You see the head, the, the head coach not knowing what the coordinator is going to do, a la what happened last weekend, the end of the game, versus the guys up in New York, right? No one knew that this guy was going to call zero blitz. I mean, that's what he's done his entire career. But at some point, the head coach got to jump on the headset and say, hey, you know there's only 12 seconds left. I want to see a one-high defense. I don't care what you want to call. This is the call that I'm going to make. Whatever your one-high defense is, or prevent, or whatever you want to call it, but you're not going to rush. You're not going to rush seven and only have four back there and have a, a rookie free agent with the first receiver taken off the board. Bama guy run right by him and score the last um, play of the game. Always comes back to the Alabama guy, doesn't it? It's a mecca, capstone. Why not? We've covered a lot of ground with Gerald Dixon. We've uh, talked about the Bills as Super Bowl contenders. What happens if Brian Dable leaves? Dermatological tips for both hair and skin. Hygiene as well. Um, I think we've said it all. Anything you want to add, Gerald? Doug Marone. Well, yeah, we talked about Doug Marone. Right. What I do need to do is I, I want to address every single um, LSU Tiger and Auburn Tiger um, out there in the worst in the world. That's Tredavious. That's Kyle Williams. That's anybody that went to that other school in Alabama. Okay. Keep Alabama out your mouth because all you guys do is get busted up. That's it. Appreciate y'all. Roll tight. That was intimidating enough that I'm going to keep Alabama out my mouth. That's in fact, that's at the end of this sentence will be the last time I say Alabama. Well, I have an Alabama mouth question for Gerald. Roll tight. Because you're a fan of the basketball program, right? What do you think about Nate Oates having Coach K's name in his mouth today? Um, you know what? I'm on Coach K's side. Right. So I, I just don't think that 
when you're in a, a time like this, now if you're if you're a professional athlete and you're getting paid to play the game, that's fine. But when you're a collegiate athlete and there's a chance that you might get sick, virus, whatever it is, no one knows the outcome of each person that gets it. Yeah, I don't think you need to, we need to be playing right now. My opinion. So I'm with Coach A. Jay Billis had an intriguing comment uh, the other day in which he, and I hadn't realized it really, and I'm sure the point's been made elsewhere, but I hadn't really seen it uh, so passionately mentioned. But he was talking about, you know, college basketball players or college athletes have been treated like essential workers. And they're not. Uh, why is it that everybody else has to stay home, but athletes are, have to keep going? And these are college athletes. They're not even being paid. I agree. 100%. Because they got to keep that machine going. They got to keep that broadcasting machine going. That That's well, not essential. That's why. Media and entertainment has been deemed maybe not essential, but has really not been shut down right. in the same way that several other industries have. And college athletes are part of that entertainment, television, broadcasting machine. That's why we're seeing marquee Division One teams playing, but not Division Two and Three and lower levels playing right now. Which isn't it's I mean it's it's embarrassing, man. My opinion, because you you have teams like Ohio State's going to potentially be in the college playoffs. And they only played six games. Like you're you're just holding you're just putting band aid upon band aid upon band aid upon a huge wound that's going to eventually just burst open. Right? Just, Ooh, that sounds that sounds like a boil. I mean, it, or uh, I mean, something you'd see on Doctor Pimple Popper. Call it whatever while, you want. While we keep it as a, der- a, as a dermatological discussion. <laughs> Call it whatever you want, but. You guys ever watch that show? No. Okay. No, but I, I heard just of it. Made it up. You I watch it. how much you I, like I, it. I actually, I enjoy it. <laughs> Sorry. But it's, it, I mean, it, it's sad that we have to come. Did I enjoy and, Dr. Pimple Popper? No. <laughs> that we have these young people out there playing. And every other week you have five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games canceled, and they keep pushing it back. Like, come on. You can't even have a good college weekend because you don't know what's going to happen or who's going to play. Like, being a part of, of a college atmosphere is going out there and cheering on your classmates at a game. If you're in Tuscaloosa, a hundred and something thousand out there of all your peers out there cheering for you, parents coming to games, right? That That's – I mean, you're not getting paid. Like, in the NFL – Major League Baseball, NBA, like you're you're getting paid. So regardless of who's in the stands, you're fine because you know that you're gonna cast that check. But when you're in college, that's a that's a part of the whole like college atmosphere, the feel of going to a college. So you can have you when you run out of Bryant Denny Stadium, you hear a hundred and, 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 and so fan saying roll tide. Right? But you're not even getting that. So you're going to a scrimmage. And it's guys are getting an extra year of eligibility. Which tells you, which exactly <laughs> says to Coach K's point, that's essentially acknowledging that this is not a legitimate season, um, you know, for college athletes. I think what's interesting about it to me is you can hear the, I went and listened to Nate Oates' comments so that I didn't just have it in words, uh, you know, on Twitter. And on the one hand, I respect that he's just openly taking a shot at coach K saying his opinion rather than hiding behind anonymous quotes or leaking it out a different way. He's just out there shooting a shot, respect that part of it, but he sounds very 
eager to to play. He, he sounds very borderline desperate to play this college basketball season. And I think it it speaks to your point, Gerald, that the players aren't getting paid. They shouldn't, or it, it's maybe not necessary for them to be out there. It is necessary for Nate Oates right. for college basketball to be played because this whole college basketball industrial complex, the whole machine, all the money that's generated, he's not as well paid if they lose another March Madness or if they, if this is not a central business that needs to happen, Nate Oates isn't as important as maybe he thinks he is. And, and his career goes a little bit differently. He's on the fast track to maybe ending up as an NBA coach if he keeps things up. And he needs these games to be played, damn it, so that he can he can put that on display. But I'm sorry, these kids aren't getting paid like he is. So you know what? Like, that's tough. And you know what? Co- good for Coach K. They canceled their non-conference. Right. Um, and he doesn't need it. What the hell does he need, right? And he he's in a different spot than Nate Oates because his career is established. He's had his fun. He's made a ton of money. And he can actually have the perspective to say – well, I don't need this because I have a lot of money. And damn, these kids don't need it. They need to go home and see their families. Right. You're having common. You're, you're you're sitting on the bench, and you're six feet away from another one of your teammates with a mask on, just to get through maybe 14 games of the season. Just so Nate Oates and athletic directors can cash a check. Right. What's, what's March Madness without fans? It's March Sadness. It's a TV a show. Game. That's all it is. Summer league basketball. It's like going out to Vegas. It's not March Madness. This is it's just games. You're not gonna get to that. You're not gonna get the Cinderella stories. Like that's what March Madness is all about. So now you're gonna get the best teams in the ACC, the Big Ten, and they're all just gonna go and just and play. You're not gonna see the James, um, what's it, George Washingtons beat up on the the first seed or have uh, Wichita State or something like that come through and, and have an upset. That was like, That's the fun part of college basketball and March Madness. If I'm not getting that, I can just watch regular season games. We're not so, going to see Creighton make a nice run. Or who's that, who's that player? That, right. Who's that player that's going to just surprise all of us and like, wow, I haven't seen him all year because they're not on TV. But, man, he's having an outstanding tournament. Like, you're not going to see that. Steph Curry, somebody like that. Well, I no, saw he's he got, got to know who Steph Curry was, too. right? Right. Well, I saw Steph play because um, Davidson played against the Citadel a bunch, and that's when I was coaching. But anyhow, yes, I, I agree with that. But Coach K gets it. Some of us don't. Coach K gets it. That other guy, I can't speak for him, even though he's at, at, at Bama. I, I'm, I can't vouch for that one. And I don't any, know if you guys saw ahead. this today. Oh, sorry, I just – you no, played ahead. a game against Mercyhurst, Jim Whitesell coach from the fifth row. Yeah, saw that. Come on, man. Like, it's, yeah, like any it's, means, it's like any means necessary just to make sure that some coaches don't lose that special talent this year that they're going to coach. Because that kid that just came in a five-star, you might only coach him for four games, and he's off to the NBA. Well, I think that's what it comes down to. If somebody's playing somewhere, nobody wants to be the coach of the program that's not playing. Because right. you'll lose recruits and players and stature by being – if you're being too conservative than everybody else, that's not going to work out in the long run. Yeah, and I mean, I, I can tell you who's going to probably win the SEC. Uh, this, is Kentucky still in there? Yeah, they're probably going to win in Auburn and 
Tennessee. I mean, yeah, Tennessee's good. Yeah, Mizzou's undefeated. Just saying. <laughs> Playing some good basketball. But I mean, but I don't need them to play basketball. Is my point. Hey, how I'm about enjoying watching though? them, but hey, I don't need them to. Speaking of Mizzou, how about the uh, Mizzou alums going ape doo doo over the football program, cracking the top twenty-five? with pretty much the same passion as UB, which has done it for the first time in franchise history. Shouldn't Mizzou have a little respect for itself, have a little self-respect and act like – Which hey, Mizzou alums are you referring to? Because I don't <laughs> – I, I did not go ape doo-doo. Hey, ape nuts, if you well, will. I'm just saying in general. I saw on social media, like everybody's like, oh, my God, we're in the top 25. I'm like, hey, come on. Hey, listen, like I said, you, you're – some places when you when you win big games, you see people run out. That and that's why I made that public service announcement to to those to those Tigers because I I heard that head coach speech in the locker room. We don't tear down goalposts when when we win big games in Tuscaloosa. All we do is just shake hands, walk off, say, "See you again next year. We'll do it to you again." Yeah, they just call that Saturday in Alabama, right? Yeah, that's everything. Like, this like this like Mizzou cracking the top twenty five. That's just that's just normal. It should be. Hey, it was a long road back, though. <laughs> I wasn't going ape nuts. I don't know. Maybe maybe Tim saw some. Uh, maybe Tim. Well, I'm like you, Gerald. I'm sitting here watching these games, and I've been watching the basketball just to give myself something to do. And Mizzou's pretty good, but like I can't really get into college football this year because half the reason I like to watch is the atmosphere, is the the pageantry on display, and the the energy and it just doesn't feel like it matters when you've got some teams playing like six games, seven right. games. It's like, man, this would have been a great season. You know, like UB, it would have been great to see play a full season, how good they would be. Or like if, when you have this piecemeal schedule, it's hard for me to get into it because it doesn't feel like the real thing. Like the Heisman Trophy this year, picks of mine. Right. Like, it, it doesn't even seem real that Justin Fields or Jarrett doesn't get a true chance to go out there and go to New York from Buffalo. How how great of a story would that be? The little guy from Buffalo cracks the top five and gets into New York in the city to be able to sit down as a Heisman Trophy finalist. Right? But probably not going yeah, to Yeah. Well, with UB, they're, they're ranked for the first time. They got a home game Saturday, and there'll be nobody there. It almost seems like, you know, you win a championship and you get no parade. It's like, oh, you're in the top 25. Like, how many teams are there playing? Right. Like, what does that even mean this year? Like, oh, we cracked it. And I'm not taking anything away from UB's accomplishment. I'm more speaking from Mizzou's perspective, like, of trying to put it in context and what it means and what it should feel like cracking the top 25. It's like, it's tough. If you think about it, Nick Saban almost missed two games this year. Against Georgia, and who was the other game against? Oh, he he was at he was at Georgia, but he almost missed Georgia. I forget what the other was it hey, Auburn, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, early in the year, his false positive, and then right. a couple two, weeks two later, games. he gets a positive. So you you missed game against Cal College, and he, you still you still win. So you're sitting like your head coach is not at the game? Nope, He's, he has COVID. You have to shut down your whole entire team, yeah, because 23 of the young people have it. And now I'm reading on social media. A lot of these people are calling these young people that are there's not that are opting out quitters. Like, come on, where are we going with this? Like, you're allowed to say I'm not, not going to go out there and play this year. 
I don't care if I started the first three games and I want to opt out. Now I'm opting out. I'm not playing. Don't feel like going through testing every single day and getting something stuck up my nose. It's not what I signed up for. I can't believe the Bills are winning without me in attendance. <laughs> maybe you need to stay away. I And maybe they were under so much pressure. I wouldn't be busted up there. about it. I would not be busted up. Maybe, yeah, it's probably Sully. It's probably well, Jerry Sullivan. But think about this. What makes the Bills games fun, regardless of what the, what's the record? Driving up Abbott Road and seeing that. I don't care where you're coming from. There's only I drive one. down. I drive 28 myself, but the point way, stands. You got to turn up Abbott and come on in and, and, and see. Matthew, the he said he didn't care where you're coming from. <laughs> right. You you have you still got to come down Abbott. Right. You got to come down Abbott at some point and see that. Right. So other than like Lambeau Field, like that, they're stuck right in the, in, in 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 the neighborhood. I'll say hot take. It's better pulling up to the Bills Stadium than it is pulling up to Lambeau Field. That's my hot take. Take it wherever you want, but either way. You, you miss out on that. You don't see you don't see people outside. The difference between the SEC and the Big Ten to me is tailgating. Like you take a young recruit from California and you bring them down south to any game down there, blows your mind. You've never seen anything like it. And now it's it's nothing. I mean, you're going into a stadium. Like I said, it's it's the end of the summer, last scrimmage. You have your fans and a couple of your friends. You waving hi. You don't even need to have uh, washed your hair when you show up for the game this year. It'd be a great year to go no poo. You can't even talk trash because everybody hears everything. Every Raiders check, I can tell you what's going on. When they tell you cities, one way they're running, East Coast, West Coast. It's, it, you can hear every single – It's. I hope, sometimes I just mute the whole TV, man, because it, it, it seems like it's not even a true football game. There's an existential element of it too. There's got to be when you're a player and you're out there or you're a coach or you're anybody and you're like, there's nobody here. Like, what are we doing? Like, does this, how much does this matter? Like, what are, what's going on? I don't know. It's a, it's got to be a bizarre feeling being out there and nobody's out there. It just sucks a lot of the life out of it. Well, it's why I don't understand more so with college and high school, why there was so much resistance to spring football when maybe if you play later in the year or later into next year, it's definitely going to be somewhat safer and there might be a greater chance of having some form of crowds and closer to a normal season than what we're experiencing right now. But everybody seemed to react as if that was the last case scenario. Hey Jonah. Yeah. Uh, for me, spring football. Um, yeah. That's only practicing three times a week. There's no true game. I'm not that spring football stuff for the birds. I'm not doing it. I signed up to play in the fall spring. I get better. Um, and get stronger in the winter. Spring, I refine my game, and uh, um, fall is when I come and show out. That I think that whole that that's a mess because there's young people that's going to go into the NFL. So there's a group of people that's not going to play. Because you're not going to see the best of the best. You're going to see the the best of the worst, and it's I, I think it's just all screwed up. They should just cancel the entire year and just start from scratch. What do you think about with high school kids? Would you rather? play in the fall in an empty stadium and all this risk and uncertainty or in the spring when potentially, now maybe not possible then either, but I think there's a greater potential that by the end of the spring, a high school could have fans in the stands and could have more of a normal homecoming game and things like that. Well, Jonah, think about this, like the recruiting process. So when am I going to get recruited? 
Like, yeah, that, I mean that's 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 the big anxiety, I think. Yeah, the springtime is when a lot of the, the recruitment happens, and if you're if you're just solely worried about getting ready to play a game, I, I just think this whole year, you take it and you just etch a sketch, just scratch it out. No, no, you don't scratch. You shake an etch a sketch. Shake it. True. I'm here. <laughs> I'm the fact checker. <laughs> there you go. I, I'm here for all the important fact checking. Well, yeah, you run, shake run it out. You take the Rubik's cube and you just blindly do all the blush all it. the different until you mix you it all. Flush the Rubik's cube down the toilet. Hey, what hey Tim, one, one more one more thing that I, that I have to say. What? And I got to get on my LeBron spill right now because I, I I just saw James Harden wanted to get out the uh, get out the West Coast. Why is it that when LeBron shows up to a particular conference, all the good players <laughs> leaving them? Up? They want to have a chance to get to the finals. What's the sense of playing the game if I can't make it to the finals? I got you. This this one to hear somebody else say it. Makes sense. Kawhi Leonard didn't do that, though. Who? Kawhi Leonard. Who's he? He went from the east to the west. What did he do? Well, he won when he was in Toronto. He didn't do quite as much in L.A., but. Oh, he won in another country. It don't count. Same league. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Last I checked. <laughs> I know a player that didn't even want to go to that country. I remember when quick Steve Francis got drafted to the the Grizzlies. And he sat there and poured down and cried because he did not want to go to Vancouver. <laughs> well, he, thought he, he thought it was uh, Nicaragua or what? <laughs> did, he, did, he, did he not know that Vancouver is pretty much just Seattle? Well – like the ongoing joke to a lot of NBA players is when, it, uh, if you wanted to act up and the team really wanted to punish you, they'll send you to Vancouver or they'll send you to Toronto when Toronto was rolling. And you're like, you gonna trade me there? Yep. So everybody was like, Nah, I'm good. I'm not going there. I feel like those two cities are better than a lot of uh, a lot of other NBA cities. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, it's better than Milwaukee. Pick another one. In Utah. Better than Milwaukee, better than you. I mean, Vancouver and Toronto are two of the better uh, cities in, in North America, no? I agree. But there's a lot of things. Uh, there's a lot of things the NBA players didn't like because, for instance, they don't even have ESPN up there. You know, the taxes, heavy taxes. Yeah, you get paid less, uh, right? Ish. Yeah, there was, there was that type. There was, it was a lot of little things that would add up. Sneaker contracts, you don't... I mean, they're better than Orlando, no? Like, I'd rather live in Canada than Orlando. I disagree. I love mm -hmm. Canada. I love Vancouver. Big taxes in Florida. But if I'm making $100 million, yeah, stick me right in Orlando. Doesn't Tiger yeah, Woods live in Orlando? Count. Like, at the... Like Jupiter. Guy who can yeah. live wherever he wants. Oh, he's in Jupiter. Okay, so that's at least a little further down the coast. I mean, it's God's country, right? You get a little bit of I hurt. I guess. Florida? Orlando, Orlando I mean, it's the happiest world. It's the happiest place on the earth. Yes. Eh, theoretically. Yeah, Matt, you're screwing it up for every young person. Have you? <laughs> when you go to Disney, how many times do you come back with a frown? Yeah, that's a good point. It's Orlando, Sunshine State, smile. How many times am I going to go to Disney if I'm an NBA player? They moved the whole league there in the. That's true. Spring. <laughs> yeah. That's Just true. saying, I told you guys, it's God's country. I leave Elmo's <laughs> and the 
pizza and ale house with a smile on my face. So those are the happiest places on, on earth for me. So but although I have different priorities. Where's happy? <laughs> happiest place is Elmo's on Millersport Highway and, uh, and Amherst Pizza and Ale House over in the Cross Point Plaza. Oh, good. Yes. One is my Magic Kingdom and the other is my Epcot. <laughs> Stick, stick me in, in Charleston, South Carolina, and Orlando and South um, in, in the state of Florida, and I'll be perfectly fine. All right. Charleston's a good town. Oh, Charleston's. That's, that's the other place we call God's country. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for this. Great talk. We covered a lot of territory. This is what a podcast is all about, quite frankly. I think this might have been our best, our best segment yet. We're getting better with every show. Time That's on what task, I say. Tim. That's right. As long as Jonah comes out and he starts playing that guitar over his left shoulder. Next oh, week, I can get somebody else to play that, but I don't, that's not my thing. Jonah comes from a musical family, and he's the only one that has zero musical ability. I'm the front man. That's why I got the hair. All right, man. Fronts usually get their fronts knocked out. Don't do it. <laughs> well, I already got them fixed. <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, Gerald, thanks. We'll see you next week. Always take care. The hard driving sounds of the end of everything means that it's time to once again check in with Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas. Uh, Joel uh, continues uh, to stay warm. 19, 12, and 3 on the year with his picks against the spread. And we're talking about over-unders in there, too. Uh, although, Joel, may want to pull back on the bonus bets uh, because the bonus bets are hurting your uh, – if you were just doing Bill's bets, you would be super lopsided uh, with, your, uh, with your winning percentage. But – I got greedy. Three and two with picks last week, two and zero on your bills. You had the bills and the over, uh, but then you also had uh, the Packers giving eight and a half to the Eagles, which worked out for you. But a couple of upsets: the uh, the Detroit Lions with their freshly fired coach pulled off a win straight up over the Bears. You were even going to give the Lions three, and then uh, Washington football team beat uh, the Steelers. Um, again, who, who could have seen that coming, but anyways, um, yeah, not, bonus picks it, this week. Or, what are you going to do with that? Uh, I, I got, uh, I got like three, but they're also big favorites and I don't like to just keep playing favorites. But when I look at the lines, there's three that kind of stand out to me as the line is a little bit off. We'll get to that a little okay. later. A teaser. Uh, okay, so the Steelers are tricky. Uh, coming off of that uh, upset loss to Washington, and uh, they opened up as favorites over the Bills, but that quickly flipped, and now the Bills are two-and-a-half-point favorites. Can you give us a breakdown as to what happened there with the Steelers um, being favored right away and, and having it yanked right out from underneath them? Uh, yeah, um, the the book in town that uh, puts up the earliest lines and the best lines when it comes to them being early and correct and not 
one-sided is, is the Westgate uh, Superbook. If you've ever been to the Hilton slash LVH slash Westgate, whatever it's called, um, that book is incredible in terms of size. Do they still call it the Superbook? Still called the Superbook. Uh, the, the clientele that are there is just incredible. Like you'll see some old timers there that are just, you know, screaming at the horse racing. You'll see, you know, you could find a whole group of people to talk to that will just give you a fun for the whole evening. Um, they opened that line, <clears throat> Pittsburgh, uh, two and a half point favorite on December 1st. So they put up those lines a little bit early and they do that as the season goes on. They can put up a line early. Um, expecting what they think it's going to be. Um, and then a couple of days later that went to Pittsburgh one and a half. Uh, and then as we hit yesterday, went down to a pick and, to, and then last night into today, Buffalo, a small favorite, uh, Buffalo now two and a half point favorites. And this is basically your reaction, reaction type um, bets and the line moves. You know, you saw Pittsburgh, who, you know, you can say beat lesser teams and got a lucky, a couple of lucky bounces and didn't really play anybody good. Um, but they're still, they still weren't undefeated teams. So that takes a lot of, of good play, lucky bounces, all of those things. I mean, how many times do we as Bills fans say that it was unlucky or the refs were against us and all this other stuff? So you have to be lucky with the play, you have to be lucky with the calls, with bounces, all that stuff. Uh, but Pittsburgh is, is still a great team. They're the number one seed in the AFC. They're, you know, depending upon what uh, power rankings you're looking at, they're anywhere from three to four or five. And the Bills are also uh, up there in the top five in most uh, power rankings as well. So you're looking at two really, really good teams. Um, but yeah, the line has moved from Pittsburgh as a two and a half point favorite to now the Bills as a two and a half point favorite. So it's a pretty big move. Um, I think it's a bit too much of a big move. Um, I think the line at pick was about right. Uh, when you look at home field advantage, uh, even without the fans still talking about home field advantage, uh, and the way that the teams are playing and the offenses and the defenses and how they match up against each other, pick to me is the right number. Uh, Bills moving to a two and a half point favorite. Um, I think it's a bit overreactionary, but not out of the realm of possibility. So are you saying to take the Steelers in the points? I wouldn't go that far. I'd say if you're going to take the Bills, lay the money What are you saying, Joel? <laughs> I'm saying take the Bills, but lay the money line minus $1.40. No points. Just the win. You don't want to sit there and get backdoored on some garbage time field goal or touchdown and, and the Bills win by two or something. Take the money line, minus $1. forty. go Bills. Okay. And then the uh, over-under right now is at um, – oh, I just got to – my screen just refreshed. Uh, 46, down from 48. Um, yeah. No, no, I'm looking at the wrong number. I'm looking at Browns-Ravens. Uh, it is 47 and a half down to, well, um, similar. Down to 47 yeah. and a half down to 46, down to 45 and a half at uh, the MGM. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Why is it shrinking? Um, it's shrinking because um, the, the Steelers defense, 
the Bills over the past, I don't know, however many games, what? Let's look it up. Um, over in their last, four out of their last five games. Uh, but the Steelers are an under team. The Steelers are uh, under in four of their last five games. Um, the, the Bills, as we saw them, this a very similar Buffalo team last year was an under game when we played against uh, Duck Hodges. Um, you know, so Bills against Pittsburgh uh, is a, has an under feel to it. Uh, which is why those bets are coming in on the under and the line is the number is going down. I'm just with the line being as low as it is with Buffalo, I'm just hesitant to play it under. Um, it has an under feel to it, but 45 and a half to me is, is too low for a Bills team that we can see can put up 35 points quickly. Um, and when you look at that San Francisco game last week, I mean, how many fourth downs? we had two fourth down and goals stopped. So you kick those as field goals. Then we got, we're talking even more points. Now granted San Francisco came back and scored quickly after, um, uh, after the fumble from the rookie running back. I can't remember his name right now off the top of my head. Zach Moss. Zach Moss. Thank you. Um, so that was a, <clears throat> so that kind of turned that around, but if the bills score or San Francisco, the bills score on their opening drive at the one and San Francisco scores on their opening drive at the one, I mean, this game is going to fly over and it still went over pretty easily. Um, so the bills can, can really move the ball. Uh, Pittsburgh is more of a running team with, with Connor supposedly being back for this game. Um, so that like that kind of leans to an under bet. Uh, I'm not familiar with what the weather report is for Sunday, but <clears throat> unless I see some crazy snow and wind, I I'm definitely going uh, towards the over of 45 and a half. Now we're recording this early. So if you're listening to the Tim Graham and friends podcast, don't take this as gospel. Um, well, it's going to take me a couple seconds to bring it up uh, while I'm looking up the weather though. Uh, what about the Steelers? And I think this lends itself to the theory that you probably want to lean over the Steelers have some offensive weapons, and granted, they weren't able to unleash them against Washington on, uh, what was it, Sunday. Um, I'm forgetting when all these games are played, Joel. I mean, we had a Tuesday night game. It's, it's, I love it. I hope that they continue to do this and have uh, Tuesday night games. Let's have some Wednesday night games in there. Let's have it all. Yeah, so I, I'm I forgetting. Think, uh, I forget what day to say. Uh, but anyways, uh, the Steelers um, – well, that was Monday. It was a Monday because it was right before the Bills played. Um, if you're not unable to, uh, if you're unable to unleash Chase Claypool and get him involved, then I guess it doesn't matter what weapons the Steelers have. But they are, they do have the ability to put points on the board, even though they they've really they've struggled a bit. And I think you could probably chalk up some of their struggles to um, the schedule being so out of whack for them over the last few weeks because of the COVID situations, their opponents, their games being moved. Um, this game gives them uh, against uh, the bills gives them kind of a, uh, at least some sort of regular week They're, They get to play on Sunday. Yeah. I saw was it Eric Ebron who made some comment about them playing three games in 13 days or, or something like that. Uh, it, it's, it's definitely not, pleasant for your games to be moved around. I mean, the Bills played against the Titans after that got moved a couple times and we did not perform as, as we had hoped. <clears throat> so I don't know if that has something to do with it. Uh, when you're an undefeated team, though, you definitely have a bullseye on your back. 
Uh, and so San Fran, um, so them losing was to me was expected at some point in time. I didn't think they were going to go 16 and 0. I actually looked up the uh, odds because that was a bet that where they go 16 and 0. I think no was minus five dollars, and I was like tempted to bet it, but I just don't want to lay that much money and wait that long to possibly cash out. And then sure enough, the next day they had lost, so didn't really make a difference anymore. But um, I looked it up uh, Sunday night. It's supposed to be 31 degrees, possible snow showers, and 13 mile an hour winds gusting up to 20, 40% chance of snow. So that's a, a cool windy day in, in Buffalo, but um, I, I don't think it's that crazy for the weather. I don't think that makes me lean towards the under. I'm still going to lean towards that over um, because the Buffalo has got a, such a high powered offense and they're really clicking and, and Pittsburgh, although they did not play well uh, this past week, I think are still a, a team that can score at will when you're looking at the, the, the offensive weapons that they have. And these are teams that should know how to play in this type of, in this type of right. weather. We're not surprised. Coaching staff yeah. knows how to game plan and the whole thing. Right. Uh, just real quick to go over some of the Steelers' scores. And granted, it's they've played a little wobbly uh, over the last month or so. Mike Tomlin getting on them for, uh, I guess, going back to week nine um, against uh, the Cowboys for not being able to put the, the Cowboys away. Um, but Mike Tomlin was on his team for not playing particularly great. and um, But uh, – Yes, they scored only 19 points against Baltimore in their previous game, 17 against Washington on Monday, and then 19 against Baltimore. But they put up 28 against Baltimore in week eight. Um, I mean, they've scored uh, 38 points against Philly, 38 points against Cleveland, uh, 36 points against Cincinnati. Granted, these are not great teams, but they can put up points. Um, Going back to earlier in the season, 28 over Houston, 26 on Denver, 26 on the Giants. I know I'm emphasizing, I'm underscoring that these are not teams that are as good as Buffalo, but I think that, um, I don't know. I just, it, it seems to me that uh, the scheduling and uh, the COVID disruptions uh, can maybe be, that's what the, the lack of offense can be blamed on over the last couple of games because they are unusual relative to uh, the Steelers' uh, other games this year. Just a thought. Yeah, I would, I, I would definitely agree to that. <clears throat> that you know, okay, so their, their lowest output, I think, was this past week at 17 points. Yes. Uh, and they've had over 30 points three, three times. So all they got to do is put up 20. Bills put up 30 you're over and the Bills win. Week 10 against Cincinnati, 377 yards uh, gained. Um, and then against Jacksonville a week later, 373 yards of offense. Um, so yeah, they, uh, they're capable, clearly. Um, your bonus picks, Joel. You're going to venture, you're going to dip your toe into that water again. I'll put a little asterisk next to these three bets. Um, no, no, no asterisk. <laughs> either I, something either happens like the Broncos unless, two weeks ago and everybody Broncos, loses their right. quarterback. Yeah. Okay. We're going all, we're going all three then. 
we're going to the Tennessee Titans. We're going to talk to the director of the sports book and buy it down to seven because it's at seven and a half pretty okay. much everywhere. But I'm going to buy it down to seven. Uh, so TBK Sportsbook will do this. They, they have told me, uh, they've like given that. me the go-ahead to, to allow you to do this. There's usually some players every once in a while that will come into your casino and um, will, they, they let you do basically anything. Who's that uh, poker player? Phil Ivey? He's uh-huh. still a poker player. Is that still a thing? That yes. dude would come in and they would – whatever he wanted. Tease, side the totals, buy full points, anything. They're, yeah, whatever. Go for it. And if you're betting online with uh, DraftKings or FanDuel, they allow you to do this also. Yeah. It's, it's becoming a lot more um, a thing now where they allow it because it's it, – you know, you're paying that extra $0.10, cents, $0.20, cents, depending upon the book, for that half a point. And um, – they want that, you know, just like how they sell, how we were talking about how they can sell your bets back. Um, they want that. So they can guarantee themselves making some more juice. They'll absolutely do it. So I appreciate that. We're also so taking you're Kansas taking uh, Tennessee and you're going to give seven points to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville's kind of been screwing me lately, but I'm going to just keep, just keep hammering them. All right. Until I, until I win my money back. Uh, Kansas city chiefs minus seven. At the Dolphins, I'm a little leery on that, but I think that line's a little bit off. Should be a little bit higher to me. So I'm going to take that minus seven for Kansas City, and then ugh, the big, the biggest favorite, Seattle Seahawks minus thirteen and a half, hosting the New York Football Jets. They are. They, I think that last loss to the Raiders was just so disheartening to the team and to the fan base and to everybody else. I mean, I saw videos of fans cheering for the Jets that were Jets fans that were cheering that they lost because they don't want to give up that uh, first overall draft pick. So uh, I think at this point, the players are just kind of, uh, you know, giving up. And I think Seattle really needs to, to, to kick someone's ass to, to get themselves back in gear. And I think this is the week. So I'm going to take that one too. Three, fav- three big favorites. The money has been coming in on uh, the Jets. So they, uh, Seattle opened as 15-point favorites in that game. It's now down to 13-and-a-half. Um, does that mean that if you want to follow through with this suggestion, like you say, Joel, you maybe wait uh, for the number to go down a little bit? or Because is there a chance it could go <laughs> the other way? I don't think it's going to go down much more, if at all. Um, getting past that 14, that key number, was really important to me. If it stayed at 15, I wouldn't be interested in it. If it was at 14 and a half or 14, I probably still wouldn't be interested in it. But 13 and a half, I, I like. I, I'll, I'll keep an eye on it. If it goes down anymore, I'd be even more intrigued. But I think that 13 and a half is, is the right number to bet. All right. You're in the books. Your tickets right. have been Mark printed. Your tickets have been printed, and uh, don't wish me good luck. Don't wish me good luck. (laughs) I won't. I won't. Um, No, those superstitious sports bettors—they don't want good luck. They don't want fifty-dollar bills. They don't want have a nice day. They don't want to touch whatever you're touching. Turn your tickets over. Push them to me with a pencil. These are just—that's the—that's the people that you see at the Westgate. They want to go to a specific writer. They want the specific writer to turn the tickets over to not show them what it says. There's people that probably I've had people that like give me an envelope. Don't show me the tickets, fold them in half and put them in the envelope 
and seal it and give it back to me. Like that's the type of <laughs> crazy sports betters you, you see it in sports books. And the Westgate is ground zero for that. The Westgate's in, I think it's so fun uh, because of the location it plays a big part of that. The Las Vegas, former Las Vegas Hilton, um, which is a prominent property in Las Vegas, famous, mostly Elvis. It's where he had his, uh, his big comeback specials and all this stuff at the Las Vegas Hilton and major fights. Uh, a lot of Mike Tyson fights were held there and, um, or at least that was the sponsor venue, but it's not on the strip. So I think that you have to, you have to want to go there number one, but then you get some tourist element because it is such a prominent facility, but you're not just going to get the casual person passing through. If you're there, it's because you want to be there. Yeah, so you're getting the people that want to be there or just some homeless folks that just kind of trickle in. <laughs> so you're just getting the, the greatest mix of people. Uh, you'll get, because it's an independent book, you get people that will travel for that just to get those specific numbers that the Hilton has, or sorry, the Westgate has that you don't get at an MGM book or, a, you know, that type of stuff or a Caesars book because all those books, the lines, the numbers are the same. You have limits. If these guys want that specific number and they want to lay more, they'll go, they'll drive to go there. So the people that you see there, it's just the craziest group of people ever. They might've walked awesome. over from the continental uh, back when oh, yeah. that existed, you know, <laughs> uh, Matt, the Maxim, maybe Maxim's too far away. What, uh, where else would you come from? That was kind of, you know, the convention center of course is attached to it, but um, yeah. the sands, I guess, or the Sahara. You'd walk, Sahara, you could walk there that. from the Sahara. Yeah, well, it's at Sahara again. It was Sahara, then SLS, now Sahara again. Yeah, you'd walk there because I think they're a William Hill book. So if you want that independent book number, you'll, you'll walk across the street or anyone on the – that's what also the train, the, the trolley, whatever it's called, the monorail, uh, that's the last stop is right there also. So you can just hop on the monorail from any of those prop, other properties and, and get off there and, and get all your bets in and – you get a, a great group of people that are hanging out. Fantastic spot. The Superbook. Uh, I ended a night there. Uh, I was on assignment uh, when I was working for the Las Vegas Sun. The, the, uh, when the Bulls were playing the Jazz in the NBA Finals, and Phil Jackson gave Dennis Rodman a pass to go from Salt Lake City to Vegas for the day. It was kind of the way that you helped – Get, Rod, get it out of Rodman's system. And it was kind of a controversial thing, but he was allowed to skip practice. Dennis, you go ahead and do what you – and so my assignment was to find Dennis Rodman and follow him for the night. And he was a guest of the Hilton that night. So the Hilton limousine picked him up at the uh, – um, oh, it's, is it Prior Aviation? I think it's Prior down there, the executive yeah. terminal that they have the, yep. off of McCarran Airport. And he went to the Hard Rock and he went to a bunch of different places. But we ended up the night at the Hilton and the sun was coming up and all the women and men in his entourage were like slumped over on slot machines asleep. Like they couldn't keep going. And he was still at the craps table. There were like three people at the craps table and he still had this smile on his face and a cigar in his mouth. And because uh, I don't think he was drinking and he was just still going at four in the morning or five in the morning, whatever it was, I had to leave to go write my story. And uh, anyways, that's probably the last time I was in the Las Vegas Hilton. 
It's a good spot. I, actually, I need to go back there. You know, as soon as this pandemic clears, I need to go hit up the Hilton. Or sorry, keep saying the Hilton. I probably Westgate. always say that. Westgate. Hit the Westgate Superbook. You know, hit up the deli. Jay Cornegay running that still? He's now even a higher up there. I know he's still associated with the book. He's but he's like a bigger vice president of something. So he's even higher up now in the world of, of risk management there than, than he was before. Yeah. One of the, maybe the most famous bookie of all time, right? I mean, when you think about how much time he's put in and he's always been very media friendly and. Yeah, he was, he was always, he's always been super media friendly, super nice guy, easy to talk to. He'll talk to pretty much anybody. Um, yeah. Those directors of, Usually the corporate directors at, at, at like MGM and Caesars and that, they, but you don't really know who that is. They don't really go around much. The independent sports books, um, I worked at the Win. Their the director at the time, he was always doing like dancing with the stars odds and he's always doing really stupid stuff that got him on like TV shows. Uh, but Jay Cornegay just being a legitimate like good dude bookmaker down to talk about anything and everything like he's definitely definitely up there you know what i think we'd have to i mean i'm thinking about it now i just said that off the top of my head without thinking roxy roxborough is probably the most famous of all time if you're going historically yes if we're talking about the yeah. last 10 years i'd go with with jay cornegay or, or jay rude from from mirage was was pretty popular he was part of that mgm stuff but i don't know where i don't know where he's at now but he was a pretty prominent guy also we digress i don't i think there's probably a very small percentage of people listening to this who have any idea what we're talking about at this point um but i enjoy it and it's my podcast so i can talk about right deal with it but but that some of these people some of these listeners one of these days will be in vegas and they'll be like let's go check out that westgate superbook that i heard about and they'll walk in and they'll just see this group of misfits and they'll think this is great. This is exactly what I wanted and what, what they talked about. And it's still the same. And it's, a menagerie. it's awesome. Or go to Jerry's <laughs> Nugget in North Las Vegas. <laughs> it's closed. It's closed. I heard, I heard it's closed because of the coronavirus. Permanently? Pandemic. No, no, no. Just because of this. There's a couple of casinos that I saw were still closed in town. Oh, okay. Um, most of the smaller spots like the Fiesta Henderson and Rancho and Santa Fe station. I think those are all closed right now. But uh, yeah, All right. go to Jerry's Nugget. Jerry's Nugget better stay. Rib. <laughs> hey, good talking with you, Joel. Yeah. All right, catch you next week. All right, take care. My thanks, as always, to Joel Staniszewski calling in from Las Vegas. Um, some closing thoughts here on Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK. Um, here with Jonah Bronstein and Matthew Fairburn. Um, we haven't talked much about UB football, and they are now ranked 24th in the country. And Jarrett Patterson, one more game, well, two more games now that they've clinched. Uh, they're going to play in the MAC championship game in Detroit, uh, which was expected. So really two more games to make his mark as a Heisman Trophy candidate. Um, what UB can maybe get up to 21. You know, it depends on what some of these teams do if they lose. UB is uh, favored to beat Akron quite heavily. 
So uh, what do we think UB can pull off here? They've, they've cracked the top 25 for the first time in program history, getting a lot of national attention for what Jarrett Patterson has done. Um, Jonah, I'll open it up to you. What do you think is possible? What, what more can they do? Because I think there's still some more national attention to be, to be garnered. Well, they're in a good position, I think, to stay in the top 25 for the remainder of the season, as long as they win their games. But I think that they've, they've gotten in there, and with other teams either not playing or losing games, if UB can win out winning this last regular season game against Akron, then the MAC championship and a bowl game, I believe they'll end the season in the top 25, which is, as Lance Leipold said, it's a small reward to be ranked right now, but it'll be a huge reward to finish the year as a top 25 nationally ranked team. And then with, not sure if Jared Patterson will come back, but a lot of other players are slated to come back next year. And it's the opportunity with the schedule, some games against Coastal Carolina and Nebraska are currently on that schedule, that if UB comes out of this season ranked in the top 25, I, I don't know if they'll be preseason ranked next year, but they'll be close and have an opportunity to be a top 25 team. And then there's a bit of a ceiling this year in that I don't think they're not going to make it into a New Year's Six Bowl game unless a lot of teams lose. And there's probably not going to get much higher than the bottom of the top 25 rankings. But if they go into next season with more games and more opportunities and the chance to play against some Power Five teams and, a, you know, Coastal Carolina is not a Power Five team, but a big nationally ranked program right now where there's a higher seal in next year that this year could feed into it. I think finishing strong really sets the table for, you know, more exciting nationally ranked teams next year. And what I'm looking forward to seeing or what I'm interested to see is how a nationally ranked UB football team affects attendance and crowds at UB Stadium. Because we saw with the basketball team two years ago, that got to be a really hot ticket when they were ranked. And then last year when they weren't ranked, you saw, you know, a lot more empty seats in that arena. And UB normally in a November home game would not have very many fans in the stands this Saturday. But, uh, you know, would have been interesting to see if fans were allowed, how many would have showed up and how much of a community buzz there would have been around this team. And hopefully we get to see some of that early next season, next September. You mentioned Jarrett Patterson and whether or not he's going to enter the NFL draft or come back for his senior season, he and his brother are so close. And James Patterson, the linebacker, also a junior, he's not going to enter the NFL draft. So what are the, what's the pull perhaps for the Patterson brothers to finish their college career together? Does that maybe play a part in whether or not Jared Patterson turns pro? Well, I asked Jared Patterson really specifically about that on a Zoom call we had a couple weeks back, and he didn't really give a strong answer one way or the other, but he did say that that is something he would think about that would be a factor for him and his family. You know, they came here to play together. James Patterson had better college offers than Jared Patterson did, but they wanted to play together, and now there would be an opportunity to play their senior seasons together at UB next year, and I think that if Jared Patterson does come back, I think that would be a big reason why. But I do think that him and his family and his advisors will probably look at the situation at the end of the season in January and decide whether it's wise for him to come out. If he's going to be picked high enough, if he's going to be a third-round pick or higher as a running back, it's probably a good idea to go and get in the NFL and, and take the money when it's on the table because they have shorter careers and Carrying the ball a lot in college can shorten your NFL career. It's, it's happened with some guys. 
But I would say if I were to predict what's going to happen, I, I kind of think Jared Patterson is going to come back along with a lot of the key players on this UB team and make a run for, you know, trying to have this type of success in a full season that they've had in, in here in a half season. Boy, what a boost that would be for the program, huh? I mean, we'd be talking about really substantiating UB as a uh, a juggernaut in the Mid-American Conference. And granted, Jarrett Patterson will still leave eventually, but the Mid-American Conference, as Craig Service mentioned to me and we talked about in the Q&A that I did with the first uh, D1 coach, um, well, I should say, when UB went from 1AA to Division 1A in, in 1999, Craig Service and I had a Q&A for The Athletic. Anyways, uh, we, it was mentioned how the MAC generally turns over pretty freely in terms of its best teams every year. Um, but to, for UB to establish itself for what would be a third or fourth straight year as being the team to beat um, in the East, let alone or, it, or maybe even the entire conference, um, that would be massive. Yeah, and if Jared Patterson does go to the NFL, UB still does have Kevin Marks, who's a pretty talented and productive running back, and him being the number one and not having to split carries. I don't know if he'll run for 400 yards in a game, but I think he'll have a very effective season. It'll be interesting to see a lot of these seniors who are maybe, you know, aren't necessarily big draft project prospects. Their NFL careers are borderline. Will they come back for now a free year that they have? Or if you're done with college, is it just time to move on whether you're allowed to play another year or not? And how many guys will come back that normally wouldn't have come back? I think it's something to watch for all teams in the country, but UB has a few of those guys in that boat that normally would graduate, but maybe they come back for an extra year next year. Akron is a 33-point underdog uh, right now, opened at 30, and the money is uh, coming in on UB. The betters didn't think that that was enough. Uh, they were, they're happy to give more points uh, to Akron. Well, how about UB? UB hasn't played in two weeks, and they entered the national rankings and won the division all during this idle period. Yeah, I, they don't seem to be the type of program that will let up, though, because they still have something to prove. And I think that um, they know that they, these games are so precious. Maybe if it was a full schedule, it would be different. But you would think that the psychology would say, uh, hey, we are only getting five of these games this year, guys. Let's make sure we go out and, and pulverize these guys and, and make them pay for showing up to the stadium today. I think UB is going to be a very good program next year as long as Lance Leifold is still the coach. And I, I think that's more likely than not to be the case. But if they keep winning and they're nationally ranked, that maybe does increase the opportunities Lance Leifold could have at another school. But as long as they keep that continuity going, even if they lose Jared Patterson and some other key players, they've lost talented players in the past couple of years and only really gotten better as a program without them. So I don't have much doubt that Lance Leipold will keep it going. But if UB has to rebuild with a new coaching staff, that could change a lot of things. Tim Graham of Friends, of course, is brought to you by CTBK. Shampoo Travis Bison Kirshner is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, 
and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, for CTBK, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Uh, before we go, guys, uh, anything else we want to uh, sling at our listeners? No? Well, I mean, if, if you, uh, how about the big four hoops? Uh, yeah, quick, that, that getting, seems to be getting going. It's getting more going. I mean, UB has been playing for a couple weeks, and Niagara played at Syracuse last week, but uh, Friday night, Canisius has its first regular season game at home against Marist. They'll actually play Marist again on Saturday. Niagara goes on the road to play St. Peter's. Bonnet gets going next week. UB is now two and two. They won today in a, it's not an exhibition game. It was a game that was originally supposed to be an exhibition. Then when rescheduled, it turned into a game that would count against division two Mercyhurst. UB's got a transfer that just gained eligibility. Keyshawn Bruton from coastal Carolina, who's probably the best shooter on the team and one of the better scorers and he'll help them a lot. And, you know, so we're getting going into basketball season, but at the same time, a lot more pauses. The Niagara women haven't played yet and they're on pause for, two weeks now, Niagara men's hockey, they beat number seven Clarkson the other night. And then the next day said that their, you know, upcoming series against Robert Morris isn't going to be played or is going to be postponed. So it still fits and starts with all of these winter sports, but it's going. And as Nate Oates said today, you know, they're playing games and don't tell them not to. All right, Nate. Nate Oates. He's Mike Rodak's problem now. That's right. And Rodak's his problem now. That, that's what I should have said, actually. I, I don't want to uh, – why is Nate Oates a bad guy all of a sudden? Nate, Nate Oates has been a friend of the ways. show. Uh, yeah, it's I, not to say that he's a problem uh, in general. but Nate Oates called him Charlie, I saw in a video today, which I guess he's just confusing with another reporter named Charlie, but I thought oh, that great. was like a figure of speech. Hey, Charlie. Rodak making a great <laughs> impression. He's been down there for a year and a half or whatever it's been, and the a coach that he covers doesn't even know his name yet. <laughs> And they both came from Buffalo. Like he, right. he probably knows who Mike is a little bit already. That's yeah, why not. Maybe it's just a power play. It's like I'll just start calling this guy the wrong name just to put him in his place. Yeah, it's the opposite of that Dale Carnegie win friends and influence people. Always exactly. call somebody by the wrong name so that they don't like you. <laughs> well, for my two good friends, Matthew Fairburn and Jonah Bronstein, I will always call you by your actual names. Thank you for helping me complete this particular episode of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK.